thank Steve for stealing the intro to my message. Um, <laughs> awesome. So as, um, as Steve said, we are going to be... Was that? Oh, step back. There we go. Into the light. Thank you. There we go. Look at that. Hope my, hope my forehead's not too shiny for you this morning. That's good. There we go. <laughs> so we're going to be starting this series called The Ten. And I'm really excited about this. I think this is going to be a really cool, um, a really cool series to get into. And, um, I'm wondering if we've got any sports fans out here, a few sports fans here, just a few. <laughs> Did I just hear some of the ladies go, oh, no? no. <laughs> if you're a sports fan, you've probably watched um, a few um, things on TV, what you usually call top ten plays of the week. Um, or in my case, one of my favorite ones, which some of you might have heard of, is called Smashed Him, Bro. Has anyone heard of Smashed Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's this, um, there's this show called The Crowd Goes Wild, um, and they have this segment at the end of each week they call Smashed Him, Bro. And um, it's again, it's the top 10 plays of the week, but it's just the top 10 biggest hits of the week in sport. Um, and it's great because you can watch it and you can be entertained without receiving any of the injuries or impact that actually happens in them. And then you can sit there and think, oh, I probably could have taken that. Um, but, so Smashed and Bro, um, and this was even better back in the day when Rugby League allowed the shoulder charge. Um, Smashed and Bro was, it was a whole other level then, the tackles were a lot bigger, but you still get some good hits in there. But I still remember there were moments where I would see a big hit in this segment called Smashed and Bro. And then I realized, hang on a sec, this is only number five in the countdown. There's still four more hits that have come after this that are apparently bigger because they're higher up on the countdown than this one. Or lower on the countdown. I don't know. Oh, that's one of those questions, eh? When you're counting down, are you going higher or lower? Are you going higher? Never mind. We'll go into that another time. <laughs> so you're thinking to yourself, how is this only number five? What is to come? I don't think, uh, the guy didn't even get up after that. How is there meant to be four more hits that are bigger than that? Or if we're looking at top ten plays of the week, sometimes you think, how are there three plays that are a lot better than that one in this countdown? And so as it starts getting closer to one, you start thinking to yourself, hang on, that was crazy. How is this going to get better? How is this going to get even bigger than that? By the end of it, you're on the edge of your seat thinking, what the heck? How did that even happen? This person needs to go down in history as one of the greatest. In this series, we're going to be counting down the 10 laws to live by. As we look at the Ten Commandments, God's guidelines for living, we'll see how they um, impact our, rela- um, our relationship with people and with God. And as we work our way from ten to one, we're hoping that by the time we get to one, you're going to be in the edge of your seat saying, God, you are amazing. You love us so much. This is crazy. I don't get why you love us so much, but you do, and we are so grateful. So we're going to be counting down. And what's really cool is this series, these messages, um, have been inspired by a great book from J. John, who we've had here speak before, his um, book called The Ten. Um, and so these messages have been inspired from his book. So I encourage you, if you get a chance, to read that as well. So we're going to be reading about the Ten Commandments, um, and we read about where the Ten Commandments were given to Moses in the book of Exodus. God took the Israelite people out of Egypt, rescued them from slavery, and Moses led them. 430 years in slavery, meaning... That these people, the Israelites, had never been governed. They had never been a part of a society where they were valued or considered as people. They spent every waking hour under the whip of a slave driver. The whip was their rule, their law, and to rebel against it meant certain death for them. So through the miraculous hand of God and ten plagues, the people were finally free, no longer under the shackles of slavery. But in this moment, I kind of put myself in this moment and And they must have been asking, what do we do now? We're free, but we have no idea how to live or exist in community. Because they've spent years and years, decades and decades, generation after generation, under slavery. 
So God, in his wisdom, invites Moses up Mount Sinai and gives him the ten laws. These ten laws cover God's heart for people, all people, every race, culture, and age. You see, it's impossible to read these laws and not see God's heart for all people. History would prove that civilizations that honor these ten commandments have prospered in comparison to those who have shunned them. So today, we're going to start our countdown. We're going to start our top ten. And we're going to start the journey at the tenth commandment. Do not covet. Exodus twenty seventeen. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now, I've never personally had a neighbor that had a donkey, but if I did, I would probably be a little bit jealous. I'm just going to be honest here. And maybe one day, if I do have a neighbor with a donkey, we'll become good friends and I can help look after it. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, I just pray, Lord, as we begin this top 10 countdown, Lord, as we begin to, these, um, to look at these commandments, these laws that you set us to live by, Lord, may you begin to speak to us, Lord. The 10 commandments are something we probably know really well, Lord, but may as we go through these that you will highlight how we can live by these laws, how we can apply these in our lives, how we can do these to honor you, to honor other people, to grow other people, Lord, and to live for your kingdom and your purpose, Lord. Lord, be with me as, you, as I speak, Lord. Allow your words to flow this morning, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. All right, so today we look at the 10th commandment. I want to look at a pretty significant person in the Bible, King David, a man after God's heart. So much so that six times in the Gospel of Matthew, um, Jesus is referred to as the son of David. And yet in this passage we're about to read, speaks of probably one of David's darkest moments in his life. See, I probably could have preached this passage with the commandment, do not commit adultery, but we'll see today that at the core of David's issue was the 10th commandment, do not covet, or in plain speak, don't want what others have. So let's read this morning, 2 Samuel 11, 1. It was now spring, the time where kings go to war. David sent out the whole Israelite army under the command of Joab and his officers. They destroyed the Ammonite army and surrounded the capital city of Rebah, but David stayed in Jerusalem. So we read here that King David wasn't doing what he was, should have been doing. See, when all the kings were at war, David stayed at home. We continue to read in verse 2 and 3. Late one afternoon, David got up from a nap and was walking around the flat roof of his palace. A beautiful young woman was down below in her courtyard, bathing as her religion required. David happened to see her and sent one of his servants to go find out who she was. Tut, 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 naughty David. So temptation is in front of us daily. From the media, we give an opportunity to look and desire. But instead of choosing to turn away and fix his thoughts on things that were pure and holy, David begins to covet Bathsheba. We continue to read verses 4 to 11. The servant came back and told David, her name is Bathsheba. She is the daughter of Eliam, and, he is the wife, and she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent some messages to bring her to his palace. She came and he slept with her. She returned home, but later she found out that she was going to have a baby. She sent someone to David to tell him the message, I am pregnant. David sent a message to Joab, send Uriah the Hittite to me. Joab sent Uriah to David's palace and David asked him, is Joab well? How was the army doing? And how about the war? Then David told Uriah, go home and clean up. Uriah left the king's palace and David had dinner sent to Uriah's house. But Uriah didn't go home. Instead, he slept outside the entrance of the royal palace where the king's guards slept. Someone told David that Uriah had not gone home. So the next morning, David asked him, why didn't you go home? Haven't you been away for a long time? Uriah answered, the sacred chests and the armies of Israel and Judah are camping out somewhere in the fields with our commander Joab and his officers and troops. 
Do you really think I am going to go home and eat and drink and sleep with my wife? I swear by your life that I would not. Can you imagine in that moment the guilt that David would have felt? David was looking at probably one of the finest men in the country. And David was looking for any type of flaw, an opening that would excuse his actions. See, I believe in that moment, David had a great opportunity to come clean. And yet he was so deep in this trouble and this sin that he couldn't and wouldn't back out. So David tried again that night to get Uriah drunk so that he would go home and sleep with Bathsheba to cover up what has happened. And yet he refused again, pledging his loyalty to king and country. Verse 14 and 15. Early the next morning, David wrote a letter and told Uriah to deliver it to Joab. The letter said, put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the worst. Then pull the troops back from him so that he will be wounded and die. See, by this point, David had completely lost the plot. He was so consumed by his sin and his actions. He was now plotting the death of one of the finest warriors, bringing Joab, his finest captain, into the plot as well, risking lives of a whole troop of soldiers. So Joab does what he asks and sends Uriah into battle and he is killed, after which a message returns delivering the news to David. Verse 26 and 27. When Bathsheba heard that her husband was dead, she mourned him. Then after the time of mourning was over, David sent someone to bring her to the palace. She became David's wife and they had a son. The Lord was angry at what David had done. The 10th commandment is do not covet. And yet if you look at most of the commandments, most of them are strongly attached to the, scent, to the sense of covetousness, the sense of dissatisfaction with what we have and a desire for more. So we face a giant in our world today and it must come down if we want to see our cities transformed by Jesus and that giant is humanism. We live in a world that revolves around me and my needs. If I, if I find myself chasing after things that will make me more important and me more accessible. See, I believe that commandment 10, do not covet is a battle of covetousness and contentment. I want to ask you a question, and I think most people can probably relate. How many times have you been in a restaurant and you're sitting and looking at the menu and you're struggling, you're struggling to decide what to have and there's two options and you're going back and forth, back and forth and you think, maybe this one, maybe this one. You're almost at the point where you're writing a pros and cons list on what meal you should have. And by the time the waitress comes to your table for the fifth time asking if you're ready to order, you feel pressured and you pick one. And you grab it, and you grab this meal from the restaurant, and it comes out, and it's not bad. It's quite good. You're quite happy with it. But then it happens. The table next to you, the person orders the other meal that you were considering. And you look over at the table, and you think to yourself, no, (laughs) I chose the wrong meal. (laughs) It looks so good. It looks amazing. If only I went for that option. You take it to another level if you're my granddad, and you lean over and ask if you can have a taste. Um... I'm not, I'm not kidding either. Like that's uh, like 95% of the time. Even if he didn't want that meal, he still wants to taste other people's meals. Or if he sees people get up and leave the table without finishing it, he says to them, I probably would have eaten all of that. Um, yeah, I've just got used to being embarrassed by him. <laughs> you see, until we find contentment in what we have, we will always wrestle with covetousness. As long as I'm striving to become like or better than someone else, I can never be fully focused on my calling. See, a recent survey done in the UK shows that 70% of people between the age of 18 and 24 define success in terms of wealth or career, and two-thirds of them feel the pressure to succeed. And yet getting it all, winning all the success, winning the success game doesn't actually prove to be that satisfying. 
See, if wealth and career were that important, then surely the richest man in the world would be happy. But when asked, how much money does it take to really be satisfied? The richest man in the world at the time responds, just a little more. See, covetousness is a dangerous drug that is never satisfied. Once you've got what you thought you needed, there's always something or someone else that you're looking for. We've lost track of what is important. See, social media feeds this discontentment and covetousness because while you're posting only your highlights on social media, other people are looking at it and comparing it to their average unappealing life. So how do we combat covetousness? By finding contentment in what we have and who we are. And how do we do that? Well, let's look at a few practical steps this morning. Step one, we must trust God for our provision. See, God knows what you need and he even knows the things that you want. Matthew 6, 31, 33 says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. See, when I finished studying in Auckland, um, my plan was to just kind of stay in Auckland, try to find a job, which probably would have taken like a whole year um, and probably wouldn't have covered covered all the costs. (laughs) But my plan was just to stay in Auckland, made some good friends through a church there. We were quite keen to write music and it was going to kind of go all good. And then I got an email from um, Mike and Amy when they were living in Tauranga at the time. And... um, and with the opportunity to move to Tauranga and do an internship. And at the time, I was actually over in Europe um, with this performing arts group that I was with. And, and I got back on the 19th of December, and I kind of had a week to make a decision um, what I was going to do. Um, I'd only ever been to Tauranga for a week. Knew no one there. Knew not, not what it was going to look like. Didn't know anything about it. But I had this moment where I had to make a decision, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I had um, that last week of December to make a decision, and the internship started on Feb. So if I made the decision, yes, I had a month to figure out where I was going to live, what I was going to do, was I going to have income, was I going to have a vehicle, all the stuff that comes with it, which is a lot to get done in a month. But I kind of got to the point where I was like, no, this is, this is a cool opportunity to do what I love, to do it for others, to serve others, to grow. Um, and so I said yes and decided, okay, I'll do it. Um, and then January was the most stressful month that I had in a long time, <laughs> trying to figure out what am I going to do. But at the end of the day, I said, God, I trust you. I don't have the answers. I don't know where I'm going to go, but I trust you, Lord. I trust that you will provide. I went online to look at accommodation, um, and I probably should have looked at the Christian flatting site first, but I went to trade me first. And, um, and I found a flat, contacted them. Within two days, they rung back, um, and I had a video call. Turns out that all three flatmates were best friends with the girl that I was going to be doing internship with that I had never met before. One of the girls went to Elam. They were all Christians. Turned out that flat was on the Christian flatting side as well, but I found it on Trade Me, and it was the first one I applied, the first one I went to. I had a 20-minute call, felt like I was best friends with all of them. I had all these mutual friends, um, and, and it was done, and it was done like that, and it was amazing. And so I said, awesome, that's cool, God. Turned up, I was like, Lord, I don't have any means of transport. I'm relying on other people. First day of internship, going to the office, um, the girl, Sala, that I was doing internship with, Crashed, we crashed her car. She crashed her car, not me. No. <laughs> we got in a car crash, ripped her car off, and I was like, okay, there's my means of transport, hers and hers as well. Um, and then I just spent a week praying and saying, Lord, I, I trust that you will provide. Um, and then a couple that I hardly knew in the church just came up and said, we want to bless you this year for what you're doing. You can have this car. Um, I just spent about $300 to get it um, warranted. And just that whole process of saying, Lord, I don't know what your plan is, um, but I know that 
this is going to be an amazing year and an amazing opportunity and I trust that you'll provide. And just moment after moment after moment, I saw him provide in that situation. You see, if we can seek to build God's kingdom and put his purposes before our own, he provides. And I heard this little caption, I really love it. It says, where he guides, he provides. So the first one, we must trust for God's provision. Our second one this morning, we must adopt an attitude of gratitude. When we are able to acknowledge that it is God who has blessed us and provided for us, we become more able to appreciate what we have. See, King David already had everything a man could ever want, and yet there was still part of him that wanted more. When we, can become, when we become satisfied with what God has blessed us with, covetousness is quickly destroyed because we stop looking for the upgrade. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that can't, cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Our third one this morning, we must be wise stewards. Sadly, we have become a consumer-driven society, and many of us expect God to bless us without actually returning to him what is rightfully his. Leviticus 27.30, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. See, when we bring our first and our best to God, it changes our perspective on many things. The truth is, until we take that step of faith to trust God with everything, you are still in control of your finances and those outcomes. The moment you say, God, I trust you here as my first, he now has complete access to move. Our fourth one this morning, we must have a generous spirit. See, generosity is so much fun. I don't know if you get joy out of giving, but generosity is fun. Isn't it great to be able to bless someone and not expect anything back from them? It seems the more we give, sorry, it seems the more we give, the more God gives back to us. Generosity is a beautiful cycle and it reaches beyond ourselves. Proverbs eleven twenty four: One man gives freely and yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly and becomes and comes to poverty. Just a reminder, it's impossible to outgive God because giving is at the core of his nature. 1 Corinthians two twelve says, We have not received a spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that he that we may understand that God has freely given us. See, generosity is at the heart of John 3.16. God's love for us led to the most lavish and costly sacrifice known to men. Sending Jesus as a gift, as a sacrifice to pay our debt of sin, that's generosity. When it comes to generosity, the amount is not important, but it's the heart. For some we, are, we may, God may ask for everything and for others he might just ask a little. The question we must settle is, if you ask me, Lord, and I have it, am I prepared to give it? And our last one this morning is the team join me. We must focus on relationships and not things. Romans thirteen eight, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. See, when we make people our priority, possessions become less important. We must be on our guard and remind ourselves that covetousness is based on an illusion. It promises contentment and fulfillment, but delivers neither. See, money can buy medicine, but it cannot buy health. Money can buy a house, but it cannot buy a home. Money can buy entertainment, but not happiness. Money can buy a bed, but cannot buy sleep.
Many of the richest people on the planet seem to be the most unhappy. They've spent their whole lives chasing the illusion that wealth brings contentment. But once they've reached the pinnacle of what the world sees as success, they realize that actually it's just an illusion. And yet it's not just the wealthy that struggle with covetousness. Now, I don't know where we're all at with God this morning. I don't know if you've been comparing yourself to David at all as I shared some of his story. But can I say that if you feel covetousness has grabbed you, don't sweat it. Instead, acknowledge it and ask God for help. As devastating as David's actions were, the amazing thing about God is that he loved David and prepared to forgive him. And he wants to do it for you and I. There's one thing that I've learned in my journey of ministry and something that's really helped me in my leadership and it's, and it's look for the David response. You know, David had it all and, and, and still fell short. But it was his response in that moment. It was his response to the Lord saying, I've stuffed up and I take any consequences that come my way and, and we don't always get it right and, and we're humans. We're always going to struggle with different things and covetousness is one of the easiest things to struggle with because we look at our own situation and we think, why am I in this place and why are they in that place and why can't I be there as well? In 2 Samuel, we see David confess to Nathan the prophet, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you and you won't die for this sin. So this morning, I would like to take a moment to consider this area of covetousness. Maybe you're looking at someone else and thinking, I wish I had their life. Maybe you're looking at a position you would like to, um, like you would like at work if someone else has it and it's causing unhealthy ambition and is affecting those around you. May we find strength in the words of Paul who through his highs and lows of life and ministry found his strength in his relationship with Jesus. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. I am not saying this because I am in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know it is to be in, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation whether well-fed or hungry whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Would you take a moment to thank God for what you have this morning? Would you find contentment instead of coveting? We're going to take a moment now to reflect and respond just to where we are in our our seats. I'm going to put a prayer up on the screen and I would like us just to take a moment to read through that and to pray that and, and declare that and then reflect And as we do that this morning, as we take this minute, ask yourself if there are any areas of covetousness in your life and hand that over to God. So whether you want to take this moment to yourself or whether with your family and you want to pray with your family, but we're just going to take a minute now. The prayer will be up on the screen.
before I finish this morning. I just want to say that if you're struggling with this, with coveting, you're not the first. Actually, the first were the first people on earth. See, Adam and Eve coveted the fruit. They coveted the one thing that God asked them not to go near. They desired something they knew was not theirs to take. They desired knowledge that they thought God was holding out on them. You see, the 10th commandment, do not covet, is right from the start of sin. So if you struggle with this, if you are struggling with this, you're not the first and you won't be the last. And like I said before, don't sweat it, don't stress, instead acknowledge it and ask God for help. So I just want to close by giving people the opportunity to realign, to reconnect, or maybe connect for the first time this morning if you haven't ever made that decision to acknowledge God as your saviour to ask him to come into your life and maybe you've been living a life where you've been desiring what other people have and, and struggling and trying to do things on your own strength and you're saying this morning actually God I don't want to live a life of desiring others and other things Lord but I want to live a life that pleases you I want to live a life that serves you and, and, and journeys with you so this morning if we could just bow our heads and close our eyes this morning respect for everyone if that's you this morning and you want to pray that prayer and invite God into your life whether it's for the first time this morning or maybe it's time to come back and reconnect to realign this morning if that's you I'm just going to ask you to do something brave right now while everyone's eyes are closed if that's you this morning can you just put your hand up where you are I'm not going to embarrass you but I just want to see who I'm praying with this morning if you're saying that for the first time saying God come into my life or God I'm coming home Well, I'm just going to pray a prayer and we're all going to pray it together this morning for those that are making that decision. Dear God, thank you for the price that you paid for me. Thank you for sending your son, the greatest act of generosity, so that I can receive the free gift of salvation. Lord, I ask that you come into my life, that you help me that you lead me, that you guide me, that I will no longer desire things that other people have, that I'll be content with the life you've given me, with what you've provided, and with where you are leading me this morning. So Lord, speak to me. Show me new things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome.